Hey friends, it's your death sentence for this week. Uh, we're going to be doing, you might have figured it out already, the Chapo book. The Chapo Guide to Revolution. And um, firstly, don't dox us, please. We don't want to be doxed. Um, no, I, I don't want anyone to see how I live. It's it's sad enough that I have to see it, but... I technically don't have enough to lose, but also, like, don't make me confront that. Yeah, I, it's okay if you steal my identity, because then you get, like, 50 grand of student loan debt. But, um, don't dox me. I know you'd have to probably dox me first to steal my identity, so... Dox me, keep that to yourself, then steal my identity, become me, take on all my student loan debt and pay it back, please. I have less debt than that, so if you dox me first, I'm going to be your better target to dox. Please pay my debts. I got called by them but, uh, today, by the way. They want their money, and I, I just don't have it. Oh, I love wow. America. Yeah. Yeah, they the student loan people don't call people in Britain unless you like. They're probably gonna call me because I have I didn't pay it at all when I lived in Canada <laughs> for the last five years. So um, look, fuck them. I, I assume. <laughs> yeah, I I would really like to, but um, yeah. Um, so that was a little slice of the uh, millennial ennui that uh, Chapo um, rose out of. Yeah, and they're all. Uh, Taps into. They're, they're all about our age. Yeah, and equivalent whiteness, yeah. and uh, they probably do a little better because they get a hundred grand a month on Patreon bucks. But, and some um, of them are, are were uh, close to rich already. Yeah, not that that's a bad thing. Not that it's bad. It can be middle class. You can't, you can't choose the conditions of your birth. That's the whole tragedy of uh, embodiment, right there. Yeah, that and like, if, if you get chubby, yeah, that's a tragedy for embodiment too. Um, but getting a yeah, boner public pool so, is another tragedy. Oh yeah, I mean, dicks in general are pretty tragic. But um, so you told me that you you haven't really listened to Chapo before. Yeah, it's as in the um, podcast. yeah, uh, which um. To some people, they're going to read that as more of like a statement than than I really mean it. Um, so, the guys have been active on Twitter for for years and years and years, and I um it came up in some of the early bit of weird Twitter with a lot of them. Obviously, they broke a lot bigger um, without uh, can't can't pretend that. Um, but yeah, I followed like um, called Felix. Um, for a long time, followed Virgil for a really long time. Super nice guy. At By Your Logic and at the yep. Texas. Um, and uh, Matt um, at Cushbomb um, also followed him for a while. Some some of them followed me for a bit on my old account before, uh, and then I can't end that story because Twitter will ban me again. Um, uh, <laughs> they they've they've gotten back on the ban train, um, but. Oh, no, it's, it's okay now, because uh, they actually have a bias towards leftists. Oh, that's... Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've seen Jack Dorsey's statement. Uh, to, he, Yeah, you're, you're okay Yeah, now. they're actually going to reinstate my old account and give me extra accounts with more followers. They're just bonus. Um, but yeah, I followed them for a long time, um, and it's one of those things where I felt that 
like I, I think I'm still Facebook friends with Virgil. Um, really approachable guys too. Um, at a certain point, I was like, I don't really need to hear them say the same kinds of things that they talk about online, but verbally for like an hour or two. I, I did, it just, granted, in general, for the longest time, I didn't really know how to interpolate, like, I guess, podcasts into my life. Um, like, I, I normally would listen to music. I say would as though it stopped. Like, pretty much every second of the day I'm playing a record. And so the idea that I have to stop playing a record to turn on a podcast for the longest time, I didn't really know how to do that. It was actually my uh, my my partner listening to podcasts a lot that got me to do it more because she would just put one on while we were both doing stuff. And I would just, you know, but yeah, never really, I listened to a couple episodes, but yeah, never really um, got super deep into it. Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, you have to have your life in a certain way in order to get into podcasts, I found. That sounds but I, dire. I, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it, you'd, you'd have to have like, I, I found the reason I got into podcasts, and I, go in, I, I listen to them a lot, I, I got into them because I got a job where it was just me in an empty office all alone, and I listened to records a lot, and I would still play some stuff now and again, but I just decided to branch out my listening into... Uh, audiobooks and eventually podcasts and I decided to find out what this whole Hey X Go On Chapo thing was all about I think uh, Chapo Trap House was the first podcast I actually listened to um, and from there I found you know, Street Fight, uh, Come Town which I, I don't actually like Come Town at all I've, I've tried to get into it and I, I really don't see what yeah, people I, see in it I, that's, uh, that's one where I think a lot of the critiques leveled at it are are pretty fair yeah don't dox um, me and <laughs> again uh, I'm just telling you yeah. what I think about a podcast if you feel the need to dox me just that's that's between you and whatever god is just chill with doxing people Regular God? Hmm. Maybe regular God. Yeah, I, I think regular Old Testament regular God is pretty true. Yeah, I think he's I think. like, he's probably pro doxing. about it. Yeah. Abraham, dox <laughs> your son. Oh, no. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Drag that bitch. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and, and, I think there was like a before Chapo and an after, and because um, they did break big in the twenty sixteen election, and there were, there were shows on before them like Street Fight, which is kind of how uh, Will Menneker, the putative host of Chapo, kind of got his start on Street Fight, which I still love. I love Street Fight, and um, and then there's the after ones. There's stuff like uh, Trash Future, which is uh, Riley at Riley on Twitter, um, came on the show a while back. There's uh, there's a bunch of then there was obviously uh, Trevor Strunk at Hagelbon, who also on the show, Absolutely and uh, he's really really good. Yeah, and he's um, organised a debate between Will and uh, Virgil about whether video games are good. Uh, 
came to a bloody stalemate and that was that was a good thing and yeah there's they've definitely opened the doors for a lot of people they've had people on their shows who've gone on to be uh, successful podcasters kind of an oxymoron but you know and um yeah and if i'm honest i think listening to those people and realizing that oh hey i'm just as dumb as they are i can do this too kind of got me started doing this and then and, uh, you yeah. uh, meet, which is the great irony when I told my former roommates that I was now the host of a podcast when their immediate response was, don't you fucking hate podcasts? And I said, <laughs> yep. And they were like, but you're, and I'm like, don't question it, just roll with it. <laughs> it's a different thing being on the inside yeah. looking out. I like telling people things. I just don't like hearing people tell me things. Very simple. It does. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, and Chapo has become a thing. They've been on TV a few times, and it's it's now like the premier leftist podcast. It gets around 150,000 individual listeners a week to one of the free episodes, which, when you compare it to, like, I don't know, like, the Big Bang Theory at 5 o'clock on a sat- Sunday afternoon on Fox is is not that big in terms of numbers, but... It's kind of like how the DSA seems like a big thing, but it's actually 30,000 people, and that's like a quarter of a football yeah, stadium. But, but, but for podcast yeah, it, numbers, it like that's, especially for one that isn't yeah. pushed by a lot of... Because, uh, like, Steve Austin, the, the wrestler as a podcast, gets a fuckload of views, or uh, listens. As you would imagine, from, like, probably the biggest wrestler of all time. So there are figures like that that can spin off their success and get a ton of uh, a ton of listeners. As much as Joe Rogan is kind of a dumb chode, who's dumber than he is a chode. He's just, he's really stupid. Um, he oh, yeah. he has his fingers in enough. Like he's the main commentator for for UFC, and so you can spin huge crowds into into listening to that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, the Chapo guys literally are a bunch of most of them are in their 30s now i think only felix is not in his 30s yet um Mm -hmm. but yeah like early 30s dudes who just were funny on the internet and then broke big yeah so yeah so i i i like chapo i'll say it it's problematic it's it was not problematic it's actually you know they don't even say like regular problematic words like calling things gay they're they're pretty okay and politically i'm sure we don't agree on every single thing but we don't need to yeah and that that touches on like a second thing that i think addresses both because i think they'll be well actually they wouldn't admit it for for reasons but like chapo has super fans that sometimes can be really obnoxious online like name searching the show and yelling at yeah. people who don't like it granted that's that's a fandom issue we've discussed this before things are good fans are bad um anyone who has mm. the kind of heavily moistened brain that thinks that the things they like uh any attack on them is somehow like an attack on their personhood and their own personal value and things like that just should grow up um, especially if you're not like if it's not part of a marginalized identity, if it's like 
my white dude's politics podcast is getting att- it's like just just chill um but then likewise yeah, but then likewise happen. there are people who having a stance on chapo has become a thing like you need to have mm. like how do you feel about chapo do you think they are the shittiest shitheads in the whole fucking world or do you think they are the best leftists and i think it's worth noting that one again this comes from the guys being super duper approachable they don't think of themselves in either of those terms at all they're pretty open about they read politics a lot they follow politics but it's a comedy podcast that's heavily informed by their political leaning like they're they're pretty yeah. they're very explicit about that they don't tend to have much pretensions with it they're i mean that's why they they're very very easy to uh from what I've heard from from friends that have guested, it's very easy to get in contact with them and just show up on the show because they're just like, yeah, that'd be fun. Um, like half of what they do is designed around that sounds fun, that sounds neat, rather than rather than anything. Yeah, will this advance the revenue? And they get revolution. sometimes critiqued for like, oh, are they doing enough with their money? Are they contributing enough to leftism? And on a, on one hand, that's kind of valid. But on the other, they're again very open. They're like, we are a comedy podcast. So expecting every red cent of this to go back into revolutionary action totally misreads what we are making. Like, it's not fans of Chapo sometimes presented as like, you're a bad leftist and you don't take this seriously. And why don't you like Medicare for all? And you, why aren't you in the DSA? Do you hate revolution? Um, that kind of dumb shit. Um, uh, hot, hot take for everyone at home. Um, uh, big leftists tend not to really like the DSA because it kind of gives off a scent of liberalism. Um, it feels like a reformist platform and a lot of leftists, uh, don't have a lot of faith in reformist stuff. That's, that's just, just a thing. Coalition building. That's the whole big deal. But, um, but yeah, so the, the, the guys themselves are, are – and that, that's why I tend not to have a strong stance on them in either way really is they're pretty open about like we are not what some of our super fans think. We're not going to tell them that because they're fans and we don't want to – you don't attack your own fan base. That's stupid. Um, but yeah, they're yeah. – And yeah, they are nice guys and it's nice – to get a like from them on Twitter or something. That makes me feel They can feel say good. dumb shithead things, but that's also... I'm not sure there are too many people I can't say that about. So, that, like, yeah, I yeah. definitely say dumb shithead things and need people to be like, Hey, Langdon, shut up! So. <laughs> so, which is why all that preamble is kind of to soften the blow a bit when we say that I think collectively between the two of us not huge fans of the chapa guide to revolution it's, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of like when when you're a kid and you come home like at 3 a.m and you smell of pot and like your dad will go nuts and threaten to throw you out of the house but your mum will just sit there and she'll be like i'm not mad at you i'm just disappointed and those are like the most heartbreaking words in the English language. I'm I'm not like I'm not 
I don't think this is a bad book by any means. I'm just disappointed with it. I just think they're funnier and they're smarter than what's I in the book. I agree. It, yeah, if you were to hand someone the book and tell them that these guys have a podcast, they'd be like, I'm not ever going to listen to that podcast. That doesn't sound like it's funny. Yeah, mm, yeah it's... I, it, it made me laugh. Let, let's introduce the book as a concept first a little bit. It's um, It was written collectively by them. Um, they don't seem to have broken it down into, like, this is the Felix chapter, this is the Matt chapter. Although I'm sure, like, the R. Chapo people will try and um, intuit who has the uh, different chapters. They'll do it by, like, literary fingerprints or something. But, um, yeah, it's book that takes different chapters on various aspects of the world from history to uh, foreign countries to the right the left and a kind of epilogue about what we could do in the future um, which is gay luxury space communism and then there are brief asides into there's a few little comicy bits there's little uh, bits about here's the Chapo Guide to the World with funny descriptions of all different countries. Um, although they didn't actually do one for Britain, they just like said what Britain is. It was kind of weird. And um, yeah, it's it's basically one of those um, John Stewart or Stephen Colbert or for the like ten people in Britain who listen to this, like one of those comedy books you get in at the checkout of. W.H. Smith's, if you're British, or Chapters or Borders or wherever, if you're American, around Christmas time when, like, parents are picking up books for their kids and they want something kind of fun and cool to get them. And I've got, like, thousands of those books from my parents because they don't really know what to get me. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a comedy book. And, like, we said it's a comedy podcast, so that really does make sense. It's just it's not a very funny or good comedy book, and the comedy books that exist aren't very good either. Like, the Stephen Colbert books aren't as good as an average Stephen Colbert episode, which is already an incredibly average product. Which is why it's so disappointing that a show that you know, I, I like a lot, and it does make me laugh, and it's very funny and you know when they hit on the serious stuff it's usually very good and insightful but yeah the book just the jokes just aren't yeah, working it, on the page feels so in my most um in my most i guess diplomatic read of the book it feels like them getting their feet wet because i think i don't think most of them have done a literary project before, um, like just made a book period. No, no. Uh, I mean, um, I know uh, Matt was a, a sports writer. At, uh, I think Felix was too. They were both at Deadspin before this, and uh, Will worked yeah. at a publisher, and his dad. Yeah, is Will, Will Will has experience with this so. stuff. Like he has, um, and we mentioned before that he. Um, uh, he commissioned the translation of 20 Days of Turin. Um, so mm-hmm. he he has some legit uh, loudest to his name. Um, but it felt like as an overall, like, 
Chapo does a book thing. This felt very much like them orienting themselves, I think would be the most diplomatic way to read it, of taking a stab at if we were to make a book. Um, and I think that the thing that was kind of a letdown is I was kind of hoping that it would be them... Let me roll this thought back a little bit. One of the big issues that happens with um, especially first-time writers and I, we can both speak to this having written for a long time and the agony of trying to get anything book-length published. It's not terribly hard to get short. Mm-hmm. It's not terribly hard to get short fiction or poetry published because it doesn't take nearly as long to make it, workshop it, and then like shop it to like 50 places. But a novel takes so fucking long to make um, that by the time you're done, you're like, now to send out, send it to exactly one person and then quit. Uh, but yep. uh, it's very easy early in writing like your first book-length project to shoot for the fucking moon and try to touch on every possible base that you're interested in, every thought that you have, like to make it this big constellation uh, assemblage novel or assemblage non-fiction mm. book in this case. Yeah, I can definitely attest and to that. I think the entire world was in my book. It was 570 yeah, pages long. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that impulse, but the it exists so that when you look back at it, you go, what parts was I actually any good at and what parts should I just not do or maybe work on privately? And, um, and then that's you tend to see this as... Uh, as careers go on, the books narrow a bit and tend to focus on things. And they organically start growing again as that goes on because you get better and better at uh, handling those small topics and really diving in and then showing more of the uh, the embroidery. Because the impulse, I think, is good, is to show that everything is interconnected and everything is part of this giant network of things. You can't take anything out of the network Um of reality and so to feel like you want to capture this one thought you want to capture it's the heideggerian thought of entrapment uh oops i did a philosophy uh that you you in order to show the shape of any object you have to show the shape of the entire world except that object because that's the perfect outline of it and then you show the inside Hmm. And so, like, it, it's not a bad impulse. It makes a lot of sense. It's just really fucking hard to do well. Um, hmm. Yeah, like, first novels that have successfully done that. Uh, v by Thomas Pynchon and... Yeah, I was about to say, like, I think that's it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, now, ironically, uh, Thomas Pynchon's gotten worse at it as his life has gone on, which is... Uh, uh, dark and uh, sour feeling but uh yeah. except mason and dixon that book was fucking great but um but yeah the, the cha- i i don't have a problem with his last two actually uh, but um as entertainment yes as, like great works like, i i probably not as much but they're they very played funny into too. my politics uh to to a t and they were fun to read but yeah they didn't have the I, he's not going to write a Gravity's Rainbow again, and that's fine because he wrote Gravity's Rainbow once and V and Crying of Lot Forty Nine. I think that's that's enough for anyone's career. Um, yeah. Uh, but oh, yeah. yeah, the Chapel book felt very much like the first stab at a book, and maybe shooting way too big, and maybe their next project would do mm. that because there are moments where I think like the chapters on the right 
if they had expanded that into a full book of just like going through and roasting the ever loving fuck out of people that i would yeah yeah i I would have been i thought the the one on the left was the probably yeah the the being so fluent with those thoughts and granularly why they're wrong rather than like that's just fascist shit which is true but isn't necessarily it's hard to make a joke out of i could see that leading to literal concentration camps that's really tough to get a laugh out of on account of how (laughs) horrible it is um but yeah the the left and so like i i think it's it's funny because like I, i read the book really didn't like this book just don't dox me. Don't do it. It's just it's just how I feel mm. about a book. But don't do it. Don't dox me. Uh, but I uh, there were moments where I was like, they can spin this idea off and really dig in. There was a um, a moment kind of late in the book. I think it was in the uh, right wing chapter where I actually thought, oh hey, this is you know, actually hitting its stride. It was just a. Um, it was Matt um, writing in from himself in first person about uh, someone he worked with who was a, a right-wing church who listened to, um, what's his name, uh, Jerry Falwell, no, not Jerry Falwell, uh, the Rush Limbaugh, people like that. Who, and then one day he died, and Matt was kind of happy about that. And that, because it was kind of real and um, lived in and it worked, that's that was the one that was a real high point in the book but the rest was uh jokes that went on far far too long and and the the chapo show is kind of bad for this as well there's the, the when the chapo show works and this is kind of related to when the book works is when the four or five or f- even three of them are just sitting around shooting the shit because that's how kind of podcasts work it's just you are eavesdropping on someone's conversation for a little while and they may be smart and funny. And it's like meeting up with your friends and talking politics. But if you were to go to meet up with your friends and you're like, hey guys, and they were like, uh, hey Gareth, um, sit right there because we're going to put on a skit for you. It's going to be five minutes long. Now just sit right there and just listen to our skit while we do this. Oh, hello, I'm Sebastian Gorka. And I'm Goku, and we're going to do a skit. And uh, I wouldn't hang out with those people much more. And the the skits on Chapo and have real low points. It's not because they're bad or unfunny. It's just they usually go on far too long and kind of wind on the same joke. And that kind of happened in what well, happened a big time in this book. Uh, jokes would go on for whole chapters, and not in a cute callback way but in a okay we get it um the murray rothbard was at the overlook hotel cool and yeah it's it was in kind of in desperate need of an editor and um clearly didn't uh yeah didn't seem to have one it's uh and yet it still felt kind of overproduced in its way yeah you know still kind of felt very anodyne and not very risky and didn't feel like the way people like uh, Slate, who are like a very middle-of-the-road neoliberal thing, were talking about them as like uh, 
an online left driving culture and not being afraid to take no prisoners and so on. It's not really. Yeah, if you if you want to like, uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. There's a, a Slate article that it will make you cringe because they try and um, they try and talk about weird Twitter and don't really get it. And yeah, it's and it's like a five thousand pa- uh, words long and it's pretty terrible. And um, yeah, there was. Um, it's hard to talk about a comedy book not working because the only way it doesn't work if it's, is if it's not funny. And there were times I laughed at this, and there were some very decent jokes in here. But yeah, I just, I just wasn't yeah. feeling it. I don't know if it's if if it's I'm maybe too old. Is it? I mean, that could be it. If you, they even say in this Slate article about how like they can imagine a twenty-year-old uh, picking up. Chapo, the podcast, and finding all their um, frustrations reflective back to them. And um, I think if you were like, I think like 15 to 23, I think you'd get on pretty good with this pod, uh, with the book. Uh, you'd probably read it in one sitting. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think if you're older and maybe a little better read, then. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. Not, it it reminds work. me a lot of um, and I see this uh, talked about on on Twitter sometimes um, as well. So I, it verifies that it's at least somewhat of a general general feeling that uh, people remember being like uh, wickedly rabid readers when they were very young. They would just like tear through books. Um, and as they got older, they noticed that they slowed down. Uh, obviously, people spin that in different kinds of directions. But I think one of the big things is when you have less connections overall, both from life experience and from body of information read, it's easier to read quickly through even the most difficult book because you're not second guessing or necessarily uh, fact checking or fact interpolating this new information. It's just... You know, you don't have to question, like, if someone shows you a chair and goes, that's the chair you sit in it, you're just like, oh, yeah, oh, nice. Meanwhile, someone shows you some weird avant-garde piece of sculpture and goes, this is also designed as a chair, you sit in it. You're not going to second-guess that unless you have that first object to compare it to in your brain and go, wait, but what? Wait, that's not, oh, no. Um, and so... Uh, it's very easy to tear through like even really difficult books, partly because you're probably not fully picking up on stuff or you're willing to pick up arguments of theirs that aren't maybe fully true um, or you're willing to laugh at jokes because you haven't heard a funnier version of that same type of joke. And the more you read, the more you do that kind of stuff and uh, the more things start touching on each other to the point where reading especially reading certain kinds of nonfiction, half of the time your brain is going, wait, but I read like these five things that said something different and these three things that said something similar. Mm. Uh, And uh, the way that that can slow thought. Likewise with, with comedy, especially something related to like politics, 
the more voices you have in your head, the harder it is to read something and not think about how would those other voices have done it. And maybe I would have preferred um, this other thing. Like for me, a lot of, uh, and this is where I guess part of, um, part of chat, uh, part of this book kind of falling flat on me, even when I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of a funny thought is my brain kept going like, I'd love to read a Stuart Lee book about politics. That would be funny as fuck. Like, <laughs> I would Lee fucking come on love the show. I would, okay, I would check cry it. if Stuart Lee came on this show. I, I would ask him solely <laughs> about Pear Cider. <laughs> <laughs> that, I love that Pear Cider, by the way. That 20-minute long it. segment is the funniest fucking thing <laughs> I have ever seen. <laughs> and you i guess haven't probably seen that advert, no, that I, advert was everywhere. I had to look at i i could i didn't yeah. know that he was telling the truth about that until a friend of mine was like uh no that's real and he linked it to me and i was like this is a fucking insane advertisement <laughs> yeah it was it was it was brilliant having that like advert in your commercial rather in your in like the <laughs> cultural corpus for years and knowing that it's it's really stupid and there's something wrong about it and then Stuart Lee over the course of like <laughs> 30 minutes just I, destroys that advert one of the things that it's I love perfect. most about that joke is there's a point like 12 minutes in where you're like how long is he going to be riffing on this one <laughs> advertising tagline and like it totally loses it the the joke totally loses itself at one point for me and it just sounds like him telling a, a an absolutely real working class non-fiction tale that is not a joke whatsoever and then it comes back and you're like fuck wait i'm watching a comedy show <laughs> yeah Stuart Lee, come on death sentence all of Chapo, you can go and Chapo. Maybe do them the, first, yeah. like get, and yeah. then you know, then then come here, or maybe come here, try try out your material, you, you know, zinger. test it out, and then go on there, do all the do all the zingers. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll listen to your B stuff. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Chapo Guide to Revolution. Um, it's not, almost, but yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's just. It's, I think maybe in the future, maybe as individuals or maybe as Chapo again, they might write something yeah. really as a, as a first book. Hopefully. You gotta just get it done. So, but yeah. Yeah. And, and this was, this was done in a really quick time. They've only been going since 2016. They've only been a real thing since 2017. It's, you know, it, it, yeah. it was turned around pretty quickly. I know there's five of them writing. It's not too huge, but as, as a book, it yeah, these things take a long time to put out, and yeah, so yeah, just if any of you guys are, are for some reason listening to this, then first sorry for the sound quality. Uh, we're trying to work on that, and B, yeah, I'm sorry I can say more good things. I, I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to say. Yeah, this is the book that understands how shitty it is to be, to even be a 
middle class thirty something white male in the twenty first century. Yeah, so it's still shitty to be that. It's even shitty to be Elon Musk nowadays. So the, the general, the general question of are we just doomed? And then someone's like, yeah, and you're like, hmm, ah, uh, <laughs> oh, that's that's just awful. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I I know there's going to be a lot of stuff dealing with that, and it has been already, but. This was not a a good entry in the dirtbag lit canon. Um, there are, there are really good books that I'm provisionally calling dirtbag lit, and some of them have, have been on the show, like uh, Bud Smith, who was on like a month back, and um, uh, Scott McClanahan, who I'd love to have on the show. Please, Scott McClanahan, come on Death Sentence. Um, who deal with the same kind of stuff for for a literary way and do it brilliantly. Um, in fiction, not non-fiction, but um, yeah. So yeah, so I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But um, I'll cheer, I'll cheer them up. If if anyone is listening, I'm going to cheer them up now by playing some uh, kind of black gaze screamo. I, I don't even know where I'd put uh, Boston. They 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 strike me more um, as a a screamo band with a lot of black metal and post-punk shot through. It's definitely somewhere between those three things. Mm. Really good band. Yeah, but at the same time, not that emo violence. Yeah, I kind of like emo violence bands. But, uh, really fucking Loma great Creator, band. Really, not really misogynist, good. which is a good, that's yeah. worth noting with emo violence. Worth noting. A good sound, sometimes mm-hmm. really misogynistic. Not Loma yeah. Creator, though. Band. Yeah, but um, yeah, Boston. Denage. Uh, Boston. What did we decide? Denage. Yes, Boston Arch. Um, they're from San Francisco. Came They've been up, around uh, a little while same now. Same scene with Death uh, Heaven. They, they came... actually cut a split together really early in their career. Yeah, they did, and um, yeah, they they're not as big as Death Heaven, and I don't think they're gonna get as big as Death Heaven because they're. It sounds more abrasive, and it's more cerebral, and they're like literally named after a character in a French symbolist novel. And um, although um, Death Heaven did have a passage from the unbearable likeness of being read out, that's in true. French but that that book kind of albums. broke, though. So, if we're honest, that it's it, it, it's yeah, it was, it's it was weird kind of, yeah, that it broke kind of through, that, but. but it did. It did break through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be a film of it one day. Has it been a film? But, um, yeah. But anyway, Boston Age, um, they're decent. They've got a new album out, and it's... Oh, totally forgotten what this name is now. Yeah. But it's unfortunate still. that they, yeah. dropped, they dropped the number thing, because they had numerical titles, and then the fourth record was called All Fours. Uh, yeah, further still. Hmm. Further still, and it's uh, it's album Influenza, which is a great, yeah. Their previous ones are Profound Law, and we're gonna edit out everything yep. we say about Profound Law because we we'll get sued. And um, yeah, yeah, that, that's all dogs. Cool. That's we Profound Law stands, but um, yeah, uh, so this is gonna be the second song off their album. It's called Down Here. And it's good as fuck, and you should listen to it. Here it is. 
you rock and roll singing. Okay, so we'll go. We'll do a, a Chapo reading series for the next half. Nice. I've never read this before, so my reaction's gonna be raw as hell, like some black. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm gonna read it aloud. Okay. <clears throat> so that was uh, Boston Age with uh, Down Here on their new album Further Still on the Flenza. It's gonna be good as fuck. It, it like the few people have listened to it so far who tend to get like emails from. Uh, PR people. Everyone loves it. Yeah. It's going to be one of those like best of 2018 kind of albums. I like how. Probably not the best, but uh, yeah. it's going to be one of them. I agree. I like how it. Uh, it's a really punchy record. Like, there's there's only like two tracks that are over. Two or three tracks that are over six minutes long, and the whole record's super short and just. And then done. Yeah. Yeah, it, they've really refined the sound down into like what makes it great and just. Yeah. Love it. But, um, we're going to pay tribute to uh, Chapo now by doing... Um, they have a weekly reading series on their uh, podcast, but they'll read out some absolutely batshit insane nonsense written by a um, usually right-wing, although they can also be like hashtag resistance types. And I found... Uh, one of the both in form and content, one of the most stupid things I've ever read. It's it was from the the Spectator, which is like Britain's version of the National Review. It's a really, really far right, but also very aristocratic um, magazine that's been around since I think eighteen twenty eight, and um, it publishes utter nonsense written by these like. Habsburg-chinned, grey-blooded ghouls who went to Eton, and are like seventy percent of these people are probably pedophiles. I feel like they but, have to be fake because some of the shit on that site reads like a leftist parody of right wingers. Like it, oh, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it it's irreal. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely insane. And one of the best parts of the Spectator is a regular column by a guy named uh, Taki Theodorakopoulos. He is an 82-year-old uh, Greek son of a shipping magnate. Like, <laughs> it's like from a binge art novel. <laughs> yeah, Greek shipping magnates. Um, he, he's been doing the same column since 1977, he was uh, arrested in 1984 for boarding a plane at, at Heathrow with some cocaine. So, uh, yeah. He's definitely and, white, then. Oh, he is yeah, big time. Uh, he, and he loves being white. Boy, does he love it. <laughs> um, he's uh, said a lot of nice things about the uh, Greek ultranationalist party, the Golden Dawn. Um, he doesn't like Israel, though. It's just pretty rare for a right winger nowadays. He's just... Yeah, really taking a, a strong stance on the fact that there's Jews there, which is in its way kind of admirable that he would just you know be so um, honest about it. And um, he's also a big fan of Japan, or as the noble Japanese would call it, Nippon. <laughs> uh, he's he's like an eighty-two-year-old uh, weeb for the Showa era. And uh, he's also a black belt in karate. 
who continues to, at the age of 82, continues to have karate fights with people. But, um... He sounds fake. <laughs> I know. He he does sound like a Pinchon character. I feel like I made him up as a joke, uh, and then he became real due to the uh, the works of an evil trickster magi. Yeah, there's there's no way this person can be real, but he, he is. And he's putting out um, articles like The Case for Bringing Back Feudalism. Subtitle, the, sam- the Samurai Would Soon Bring the Left to Its Senses and Put a Stop to Its Moral Preening. Yeah, I think a samurai decapitating me with his cool sword would probably end my political uh, thoughts. <laughs> it wouldn't me. I, I would be uh, singing the international as my head flew through the air. <laughs> so I'm really committed. Um, <laughs> I would simply die. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, my last thoughts as my head hit the floor would be of the beauty of the workers. Um <laughs> But so let's read uh, the case for bringing back feudalism, shall we? Let's let us. <clears throat> I need it like Boris needs a bleach job. He, they're referring to friend of the show Boris Johnson, who we'll get to later. Another birthday, that is. Birthdays tend to make your life pass before you in a flash, as it does, I imagine, when facing a firing squad or a samurai intending harm. I mentioned samurai because I recently dreamt of living in a feudal society where they reigned ruled supreme. And how happy I was until I woke up. Now soulless bureaucrats rule instead of samurai, and it makes for a crappier world. That's relatable, no one likes birthdays, and samurai are awesome. Looking back, well, there's not much point in looking ahead, is there? I think he references the fact he's old as fuck and will die soon. I regret some things, like missing out on education in the classics. But most of all, I wish I'd gone to live in Japan when I was young. I, barang- I began karate training 55 years ago and never missed a day except when injured. The Japanese I trained with were brave, very polite, loved the past and honoured their ancestors. And most of them yearned for the feudal system as I do. I- Pretty sure that last bit isn't entirely true. Yeah, I feel I feel making the statement that most of the Japanese people he's met have yearned for the feudal system is a uh, projection. <laughs> that's that's the polite it's thing. Slight I'm case say. of selection bias, maybe, because the kind of Japanese people to hang out with him te- would tend to be crazy ultra nationalists like him. They have to be willing to hang out with him, so <laughs> that's that's yeah. already narrowing the bounds. The idea of multiculturalism was something that, that the Japanese used to scare tiny misbehaving children. Also, again, I, I don't think that's entirely true. It, 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 is, it is actually somewhat true, but to be fair, that's because racists come in all kinds. That's not... Yeah. That, that's, that's all that is. <laughs> now it's too late, but I shall be visiting the country this year and, and have a fight arranged with Master Wada who is in his 60s and looking forward to it as much as I am. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure there are lots of people who like would are very eager to kick this guy's ass. Yeah, I think... I'm sure someone named Master Wada could do it. Like, I imagine him just standing there and like Taki is going to do all his shit and Master Wada is just standing there. And uh, then he like touches Taki and he falls to the ground instantly because all his chi has been disrupted. I, I hope Master he Wada disrupts all of his cool. heart chi, and uh, it simply stops. Yeah. 
I have come to the conclusion that Jeremy Clark is very wise to choose to live in a cave as the world has gone to pot. I don't know who Jeremy Clark is. But for the moment, I think back to absent friends like Nick Scott. Again, you're dropping names that mean nothing. Absent friends often on one's mind as years roll by. This is sad. Siri, play Despacito. <laughs> but it's funny how they remain active when one dreamed, especially just before dawn, and a wake-up call. He gets wake-up calls? The dream I mentioned earlier... Yeah, about to make sure he's not dead. <laughs> Maybe he's just gone back to prison. Or maybe he just loves prison so much he he has someone like uh, knock a billy club on his bars every morning. Constantly sent him jail for memory's sake. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe he his like mental decline started in 1984 in jail, and it's like uh, one of those villages for people with uh, Alzheimer's. Yeah, everything is like the olden times. But with him, it's just jail. Maybe maybe he was poisoned in jail and started suffering a deleterious decline in mental well-being due to the poison. And all he can remember is life before the poison. Yeah, and that's why he loved feudalism so much, because that's <laughs> one of the few things that's better than jail. Or being poisoned. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this whole thing is just him writhing on the floor in a jail in 1984 and he's just imagining all of this, like at the end of St. Elsewhere. Although I revered Sparta as a child, I followed an Athenian way of life. Alcidibides was and is my hero. The all-known Professor Peter Jones, again, meaningless name drop, will no doubt guess why. The individual is more important than the state. Not something uh, the average Athenian would... Yeah that's, yeah, that's not actually what Athenians thought. That's also no. not what Spartans thought. It's very, very much not what Spartans thought. <laughs> that's pretty, pretty far off from both of those things. I mean, it, Sparta was literally ruled by a person that named themselves a tyrant. It's, you know, it's... It is where they, we... Fun factoid, that's where we get that word from. Um because everyone hated Sparta and associated that with being bad. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. No one's perfect. And there are <laughs> m worse things than amusing oneself. So, such as minding other people's business and trying to tell others how to think and live. I had the word woke explained to me, and it's the usual bullshit about diversity, inclusivity, and systemic white racism. It's kind of not, though. Wouldn't white racism be the racism of white people? I don't... Yeah, that sounds like kind of reverse racism. I don't understand what he's... Oh, bullshit about systemic white racism. So saying that white right. racism is systemic is bullshit. Yeah. Well, it's not, man. Other, other... Yeah. <laughs> other forms of racism... Yeah, but white racism, very much a thing. <laughs> uh, these things are just gestural, invented to hide truths too harsh for people to accept... He's, that's like a very dog whistly. He's like going into full like bell curve, black IQs and crime stuff there. The first he, bit he, that they're gestural is technically true of any word. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he's quite. Um, I think he's studied the blade too much uh, yeah. to um, fully understand now. He, uh, <laughs> These are mere gestures. They are not deadly slicing strokes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they lack subtlety, depth, and most importantly, veracity. 
The left has always lived the lie, and now it cloaks itself in an overweening sense of virtue and has idiots and morons repeating its slogans ad nauseum. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's not correct. Also, idiots and morons repeating slogans ad nauseum are everywhere all the time. Like, dude, crack a hiss yeah. book. Yeah, triggered Venezuela. Um, the right, the left can't meme. It's yeah, yeah it's, slogans and morons are very are kind of a bipartisan thing. Here. They're a universal thing. There's the whole the, the whole book No Logo is about how how they're everywhere all the time. You can't you can't stop them. They're like a fungus. Also, you will become one at some point. That's the dark truth. No one is immune. Everyone will succumb to the sickness. Wah-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll edit in the uh, proper wah ha ha Thank you. But, um, <laughs> and, uh, but, and, like, there are taxonomies of different morons in the Chapo book, if you, if you want to look in there. That part um, is good. Hmm. If this is the left's intellectual posture, then a feudal society is surely just the thing to bring it to its senses. Oh, let's go back a little bit. To, to the line just before that. Just... Oh. Oh, just look at what they're doing to Boris of his joke description of the appearance of oppressed Arab women. Has that made it to the, the US yet? Because it, yeah. it's all over. So, yeah. so only, only people who follow um, British politics know about that one. But it's a, it's a decent enough chunk of adult Americans. Yeah, usually he's racist. Hmm. Yeah. It, it was a... Yeah, there, there, um, there are lots of other podcasts that go into Boris's letterbox thing uh, in a lot more detail, um, like Navarra Media and Trash Future. They've done pretty good dissections of it. Um, it was an obvious racist dog whistle that was provided to him, like in, probably in a envelope by Steve Bannon. It was, and, yeah. It it it's pretty baldly. Un, unambiguously racist. It's not like from this side of the pond. There's very little to dive into there because it's like it's it was the equivalent of someone just saying the n word. You're like, that's racist. Moving on. <laughs> mm. That guy sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he'll probably be prime minister one day because this is a joke country. Yeah. But um, if this is the left's intellectual posture, then a feudal society is. It's surely just the thing to bring it to its senses. At least it would stop this moral preening, this overwrought reaction to anything and everything. In the space of two sentences, he has said that the just the thing to bring society to its senses is feudalism. That's an overwrought reaction to anything and everything. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a pretty overwrought reaction is uh, demanding the return of feudalism. I, I don't I don't know what else you could call that. Yeah, especially when it's the response to uh, the definition of the word woke, and then he goes into oh we get in the old oh. well, if I said this about black people, just imagine if I had written the following. Oh man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old black men. Or, are black people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only to fit, only fit to live in underground? To live underground like Roblin goblins. Okay, that's Thank funny you. as shit. It is. When it's about but not not the black people. No, no, when not, not that part. People? No. Uh, no, that's that's racist. But um, saying that about white people. 
Are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? That's incredible. Yeah, that's very funny. And because it makes fun of the facts and logic um, thing on the right. And it that's like, like that's very good rejoinder to like Jordan Peterson or someone. Or yeah, Ben Shapiro. It's it's that a good theory written... of their their race lo- their race science logic shit. Yeah, uh, Taki obviously doesn't understand that bit. But if you change the word black to white in those two sentences, you have what Sarah Jong tweeted about white people. I gotta follow Sarah Jong. That shit's funny as fuck. <laughs> eh, most of her stuff isn't. She's kind of okay. mostly just kind of woke neoliberal. I okay, so but... I I'm getting a greatest hit sampler from this angry white dude. Yeah, pretty much. His sole purpose this, in his life to tell me what things made him the most angry has been fulfilled. <laughs> yeah. And she so, was recently hired as... Oh, go oh, oh, it's it's worth going back to say that his sterling insight, if you change this one word to something that is different from itself, does it read differently? It's uh, true. Things read differently when you change key words. He's, yeah, it, it, he's putting it together. I mean, he, he isn't, but... Uh, he. It, it's there in front of him. You're like, is it fair? Again, he's he's um, so immersed in the study of the blade that human language is just um, a mere uh, speck in his rearview mirror at the you're, moment. He's you're mad. You're mad that I gave this handle of whiskey to a two year old. But if it were an eighty two year old, you would have been happy. Which is it? <laughs> Well, we're going to get an 82-year-old drinking in a second. It's, it's going to be good. <laughs> and she, uh, Sarah Jong, was recently hired as a member of the editorial board at the New York Times. See what I mean about an uneven playing field? No, because you've been writing the same crap since 1977. Something must be done to stop this rot, such as introducing strict Sparta-like laws to control the corrosive effects of modern identity politics. Slogans against both black and white people must be punished with equal ferocity. Um, no. Again, two different things. Mind you, in America they call this Whistling Dixie a lost cause. But I happen to love lost causes as much as I love Dixie, the Old South Robert E. Lee. Why does a British guy love the Old South and Robert E. Lee? It's the reason because I they're, think. Yeah. <laughs> I think anything he loves is because it has racism in it. I Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to throw in something. I'm a white dude. I'm from the South. Specifically, I'm from Virginia. There's a lot of shit named after Robert E. Lee in the county that I grew up in. Fuck him. That's my mm. stance. Fuck. You don't you can even be the ideal person to like him and realize, "Nah, fuck him. He sucks." So why an 82-year-old Greek shipping magnet fail son <laughs> is a fan of Dixie is, yeah, it's pretty obviously just the racism. Yeah, it's just 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 the race hate. Yeah, I, I know we're, we're very, like, um, we're supposed to look at the economic uh, aspects of this stuff and to think about uh, who benefits in the class conflict of um, culture, but this guy is just a racist. He's the only yeah. thing he has... He's not thinking about money or his position in overall society. He's just 
think he's just racist. That's the only thing about him. Most of the time, things live in intersection with other with other elements, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just racist. And he is. For his 82nd birthday, I sat under a beech tree next to my hostess, Lara Levanos, and had a wine that Bruce Anderson would lose two stone for and then some. I don't know Again, who any of those people are. This is meaningless. This, you could, this could be any. You could randomly generate some names <laughs> and qualities. It doesn't matter. Some wine, man. Blardis Gerperson. <laughs> yeah. My expectant daughter and my hostess were on either side, and I got very, very tipsy. Then I sat next to a beautiful Italian lady with great reading and style. Race horse. Beautiful Italiano lady of great reading and style. And flirted outrageously almost until dawn. We discovered a picture of Harvey Weinstein, friend of the show, and meet. A, t- a picture of Harvey Weinstein and me taken before the scandal, and my little girl had the bright idea of turning it into a place card. No one got the joke. There was none. No one got the just joke it off that me. I pal yeah. around with a serial abusive rapist piece of shit. They and just one woman, didn't laugh. Yeah. They, he owned the left with those facts and logic and photos of him with a monster. <laughs> no one got the joke, and one woman who shall remain nameless. Just like Voldemort. The only... <laughs> well, just like everyone else he's mentioned, because <laughs> they may as well be literally anyone. Even asked me if he was my son. Jesus Christ, how bad must uh, Taki Fiodopolopoulos look if Harvey Weinstein could be his son? Yeah. That had to be the final straw. My boy is extremely good looking, something old Harvey is not. I, well, that's true, I guess. Well, I don't know about his boy, but the Harvey isn't good looking. Maybe his boy yeah, is good looking. A, I don't know. I bet he has a strong um, uh, adult son. And um, to be asked such a question on one's birthday, sitting on the stars on a beautiful night, is a bit like waking up from a wonderful dream about living in a feudal society and remembering the world we are living in. Not a happy start to the day. What? Yeah, I don't... just. What was that? I don't even. That, I know that was racist, but I know nothing else about so, what I've just read. Someone said that I was old, and I thought, wouldn't it be nice to wake up in feudalism? And it's like, what happened to your brain? Did the salt water from the sea erode your brain? Yeah, this guy. I mean, he's clearly has Alzheimer's. This means this. It just bounces around from nothing to nothing. And lands on, like, this Elena Ferrante book, but also evil. And then into this, like, weird, like, early 1920s Julius Evola fantasy. And there's, like, a brief interlude into owning the libs and whatever his assistant explained to him about what's happening on Twitter today. And then a bunch of randos named for no reason. He thinks he's name-dropping, but Jeremy Clark and Nick Scott could literally be anyone. I've probably, named, I, probably met, like, 50 Nick Scotts in my life. I thought my brain... I just realized that he did not say Jeremy Clarkson, so I, I in fact, don't know who oh, that is. Right. And I was like, how does this British person not know who Jeremy Clarkson is? Do only Americans <laughs> know him? But 
Oh, we, we know him all too well, but he has unfortunately not chosen to go live in a cave as Jeremy Clark has done. <laughs> I, uh, my, uh, the two things I, or three things I know about Jeremy Clarkson is that he likes cars, he likes so he progr- classic progressive rock, and he does not like black people. He does like people. He doesn't like people, I don't think. I think, I think he's a very miserable guy who's kind of been stuck in this uh, position that he's had to like be affable and say nice things about sports cars and be funny for like the last 30 years but i think he's actually just a misanthrope if we um, had to rank power rank briefly the three top gear guys uh i think hammond is easily the top one he feels like he probably isn't racist but might be racist uh the hmm. middle the short guy i, I feel 50 50 on him he might he might be really racist in private, but he somehow hasn't had any racism scandals. And that brings us to Jeremy Clarkson, the guy who's had hmm. many racism scandals and misogyny scandals. And punching a guy in the face because his food was called scandal. Yeah, that was bad. He, he does like was, yeah. progressive rock, though. <laughs> he wrote an essay about Genesis that was in a box set that I bought. Wow. Wrote an essay about us selling England by the pound. Nice. And I bet he could, uh, if he chose to, he could become England's prime minister. Probably like deputy prime minister with uh, Boris Johnson if he so chose to. Because this country is just a massive joke. And I realize that now that I'm back here. Which is, this is a rainy, grey island full of idiots and racists on one hand and, uh, i thought it was embarrassing that the south has a uh, a um a grocery store called wiggly piggly where its mascot is a or piggly wiggly where its uh mascot is a big cartoon pig who clearly is a knockoff of porky pig but legally distinct and then from listening to again your country's greatest export progressive rock I found out that Wimpy's is the name of a grocery, and I cried laughing. That's not, it's not a grocery. It's that Wimpy is a uh, technically a fast food restaurant. Oh. Although it's it's kind of like uh, one of those restaurants that old people go to. Yeah. They like go to after church on a Sunday. I, I, I've never been to one. Because it, it, it's a fast food restaurant like McDonald's, but it gives you like metal cutlery and a plate, and you have to go sit down. And there's like five left in the whole country They're now. They're currently and... headquartered in Johannesburg. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah, that's... that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a dog whistle. Um... Yeah. I we we serve that. racist hamburgers. The way you remember. Yeah, apparently they, yeah. Okay. <laughs> down in the United States, though. Yep. They're based in Chicago. The fact so, that a racist yeah. thing would emigrate uh, racistly from Chicago to Britain to South Africa is like... Uh, that. That is like a um, Conradian journey up the stream. That's some uh, Heart of Darkness shit. And at the end, instead of um, Kurtz, is Chappie. Yeah, it's just in South Africa. It's it's just chappy. That's yeah, chappy. Those two, um, those two. What are they called? Uh, the Antwerp. Yeah, I was going to say Das Racist, but that's a different yeah, comedy rap. That's also group people. from the, 
Ah, the one guy didn't count. That's fair. Hype men don't count. But, um, yeah, so that was uh, Taki Trobopoulos' The Case for Bringing Back Feudalism, which didn't actually include any case for bringing back feudalism um, at all. Yeah, he mentioned feudalism three times yearningly, but without any explication or uh, additional thought. I don't really think it was a case so much as just him sundowning for uh, his word count and then getting a check and then his uh, failed children being embarrassed at him for it's, it's breathing good down an is... Italian countess's neck for his, a few hours before he fell asleep on his birthday. This reminds me of uh, uh, how I recently... So I've been getting back into uh, RPG development because I'm a big shitty nerd baby. And uh, I've been digging uh, micro RPGs lately, just like one or two. It's like single page ones. Yeah, yeah. It just it's a yeah. Those are cool. They're, they're really neat. And they're, they're they're fun to work out because it's it's sort of the punky vibe of like you can let yourself be experimental and fuck up and have it not be that good and then just move on. You just get a lot of work done. I came up on came up with one. You can uh, play it at home, listeners. It's called Classico Italiano. You have one stat, and that's Italiano. It doesn't matter what the number is. You can you can decide however big or small it should be, and whatever die you should use. You roll it, and you add the number to the you know the number that you rolled, and that's how Italiano you are in any given instance. And you make the players you you put them in various Italian scenarios, like they have to get gelato, uh, but they're currently being chased by a uh, by a devilish count uh, with whom they've had a uh, a trade deal gone sour. Uh, and they're racing stallions, of course, uh, Italiano. Yeah, yeah and fighting with their gladiuses. Uh, and if you, uh, you know, if you succeed on your Italian role, you do something classico. And if you fail, nice. you do not do something classico. Like you maybe you're making pasta, but you fail your classico role. So you uh, you rinsed your pasta, and now it tastes bad. This we've got to get this out yeah. to the world. Although um, I'm worried that it may be racist, kind of like um, Italian Elon Musk. No, it's okay uh, because I'm Italian. I'm 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 not making that up. I'm Italian, so it's fine. I did not know yeah. that. Okay, okay. It, it, we will get this out to the world as, as a uh, death sentence. The only thing product. we care about as Italians the, is being classico. Nice, and that's uh, yeah. And and Gabagool, but uh, I've been rewatching Sopranos. That show is really fucking um, good. So, like, it's so good. Everyone needs to shut up. I and watch really Sopranos. do like Breaking Bad. I really love Mad Men, and I think uh, the same thing with a lot of like uh, things about the shittiness of men. It gets read by people as exalting what it's actually deeply skewering. All that said, Sopranos is still probably the best prestige tv thing it predates it by it but it's still like I, it reads like a fucking rich ass novel without devolving into insane melodrama there's melodrama but it's not nearly as insane as some of the other ones to me. so that was uh yeah so classico italiano look out for it at your yeah. local game store and we'll cap off 
wait, I have one show? last thought. I just thought um, of this. What if if so what it's Chappie, the movie, but Chappie is replaced with Cheesebot from that Mitchell and Webb look. I don't it's, think I've seen well, that. Well, look it up. This thought it just I I've seen many uh, that Mitchell Webb look uh things i only watched one well yeah because that's that's the canonical way to watch comedy uh stuart lee hates it but it's just true Mm -hmm. okay i'm done (laughs) okay you got any system okay Okay. i I gave you five seconds there just in case but okay fawn yeah is that how you pronounce that don't care um Rights of Despair, their album. It's on Gilead Records or Gilead Media, I think. Gilead Media from Oshkosh in Wisconsin. Uh, they also put out Mutilation Rights and Couch Certain. They're another uh, record label like The Flenser who are just like Honestly, they're my brilliant. favorite record label right now. They like to put out False. They put out Anicon. They put out Ms. Mort. Just like, just fucking incredible record label. Yeah, it's... It's just like their their back catalogue is just like a who's who of everyone good. Um kind of like Profound Laura as well. Yeah, only uh, the guy who runs um, Gilead is good. But uh again, don't, don't do box it. us. Um So we're gonna listen to Manifestations of the Divine Root. It's kind of like uh it's yeah, it's Doom, but not like so post Doom that it's not Doom anymore. Uh, it's still heavy as fuck, uh, but then there's some nice twinkly guitar bits, and then it's heavy as fuck again. It's not like a Death Heaven song where it's like a good black metal, an okay black metal song, then some not particularly okay post rock. It's like good ass doom, then some good ass post rock, then a bit of good ass doom. I yeah, will say that I like Death Heaven, so and that's that's my full thought. I, I like that. I, I get. I, like I get why people are like, eh, but I'm also, yeah. That's you know, foreign though. Uh, they feel like, what if you had doom, but it feels like death metal. It's not death doom. It just it it just is doom. But you get the same like, I'm gonna punch a wall and then like press my hand into a meat grinder feeling that you get from. Uh, like, compare that to Primitive Man, where you hear it and you want to lay down on a bed and get melted by acid or something. Uh, Forn feels a lot more mm. like... I don't want to say aggro, but, you know, kind of... Yeah, it's heavy as shit. Yeah. <laughs> it is heavy as all fuck. You take all the fuck, add it to the shit, and you'll still not be as heavy as... Uh, Good ass band. But, uh, yeah, so check them out. Uh, they've only got a couple of tracks up on Bandcamp right now. Uh, maybe even buy the full uh, Gilead discography for $115. That's worth it. They have a um, shitload it, of records that are great. And that's basically the price of 10 albums. Yeah, so, and, and you get way more than 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get uh, 43 albums. Come on, that's such a great deal. You say 40%. And if you do... Uh, and you produce your seat, you can come on this show, you can talk whatever shit you want, you can make up uh, one-page RPGs, you can just do whatever you want. It's just your show oh, for the it. day. Um, that's my guarantee It's my guarantee to you, the listeners. If you show me that receipt, 
you get a show all about you and Gilead has happens. put out the past like five Kralis records. And if you aren't down with Kralis, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. They're great. Bastard Sapling, yeah, that record awesome. is fucking amazing. They put out some Thou records. Who doesn't like Thou in 2018? Year of Thou. Yeah. Oh, wait. Sorry. I think they put out it's every Kralis record now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, they did. They put out every single Kralis record. Yeah. yeah Miss Moore. That was a fucking yeah. astounding album. Um, Yacht, for however you pronounce that. Yeah. Couch Sluts, amazing. Love those guys. Yeah. And just get there, which is uh, a lesser known Colin Marston project. Still incredible. Fell Voices, that shit's tight. Yeah. Ashmore. Yeah, give all your love to get. We could literally stay here all day talking about awesome Gilead releases. <laughs> give them all your love and respect and protect yes. them at all costs. Um, as they say on Tumblr. Um, but here's uh, Fawn with a, a song called Manifestations of the Divine Root. And we're going gonna, gonna to take a break next week because i got to do real shit, family stuff. But we're going to come back. Oh, no, no, no. I'll edit that. Edit. edit. Uh, next week, we got a special guest. Actually, my, one of my favorite podcasters of all time, uh, Sean McTiernan, who does All Units. Uh, check that out because it's the only good film podcast you'll ever need. Uh, he's also loves everything we like, and we're going to talk about manga. We're going to read a, a manga story about alcoholism and living in the woods, and it's cute as hell and it's lovely, and um, made me want to be drunk and live in the woods. But so come back ne next time. Then we got a, a load of stuff. We always do it. We got. New stuff by Gary Steingart. I don't really like his stuff, but we'll read it. Uh, we got we got tons of shit. It's it's all all happening here. But uh, here's Fawn, and uh, again, don't do access. You you don't, won't like. Don't do it. It. Don't do access.